Well, amen. That is four for four, praise team. I'll tell you what, that's not unusual. They're always good, but I don't know. Those four today were just really special to me. Maybe, I need, maybe I'm a little more spiritual today than I normally am. She said maybe. <laughs> All right, kiddos, come on up here. All the youngsters from First Baptist Church, you know, the Bible says to allow the little children to come unto me. Jesus said that. So we want every one of these young men and young ladies to come to the Lord and um, know they're welcome, and we put them right up here in the front, and I always want to share something with them for just like a, what I call a minute message. And how many of you have ever found, this is a good-looking group, by the way, uh, how many of you have ever found a lost puppy or a lost kitty? Okay. Did, did the lost puppy or kitty, did they kind of come right to you, or did they run away? Came right to you. You must be the puppy or kitty whisperer, huh? All right, yeah, she comes from a, a line of such. So, all right, well, we were at Subway over in South San Diego this week, and I was inside, Pat was in the car, and she was coming in, and I saw a little black puppy went running like crazy across the parking lot, and then went running like crazy back again, and Pat came in, she was trying to help it, and it, someone was backing out, almost hit the dog, and, and so she was just really concerned about it, but the puppy wouldn't go to anybody. And a lot of times, puppies or kittens are like that. And sometimes, boys and girls, why do you suppose some of them don't come right to us when we're trying to help them? Why do you think? They're scared. And why would they be scared? Why do you think they might be scared, Olivia? They might think we're going to hurt them. Or may, you know what? Maybe people who had them before did hurt them. I've got a, we've got two little puppies. I've got one that's... Um, that's a perfect dog, that's my dog, and one that's demon-possessed, that's my wife's dog. Yeah. And honest to goodness, I absolutely love both of them, but I love her dog. It is so crazy. But when we first got it, it's a little bitty dog, and when we first got it, if you moved real fast, it would nip at you. It never would really bite, but it would nip at you. And when I would hold it and pet it, it'd be fine. And if I'd let it down, as soon as you let it down to the floor, it would turn around and nip at you. And I, the only thing I can figure out is somebody was abusive of that dog or scared it somehow before we ever got it, because these are pound puppies, we, both of ours were pound puppies. And so they were, they were conditioned to being afraid and to be scared and maybe to, to be defensive because they didn't know what you were going to do to them. So what happens after you take a puppy or a kitty and you feed it and you give it water and you bathe it and you cuddle on it? What happens after a while? Yes, ma'am. It will like you. It'll, if you love on it, it will love you back. And you know what? People are kind of like puppies and kittens. Sometimes they'll kind of scratch at you and bite you, and they're not they're because they're afraid or they've been abused and mistreated. Who knows? All of us have baggage, have things that happen to us. And so, so some of them, uh, people are like that. But you know what the Bible tells us to do as Christians? You know what it tells us to do? To love them anyhow. In fact, one day Jesus was asked about the most important commandment because they had all kinds of commands, commandments. And we know about the Ten Commandments, but the Jews of Jesus, they actually had, I think it was 600 and some commandments that they figured were really important. And, and so someone was going to try to trick him and say, what's the most important commandment of all? And he said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He said, the second commandment 
is a lot like it, and that is you love your neighbors as yourself. He said, on these two commandments is built the whole rest of the law. So you and I have the opportunity to love people even when they're unlovable, even when they're mean. Maybe they're striking out because of fear or because they've been hurt. But if you love on them enough, it, would make a, it might make a huge difference in their life. So don't, don't, if someone's mean to you, don't be mean back to them. Be considerate, be loving, be kind. And at the very least, you're fulfilling the law of God. Okay? Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we thank you so much for the blessings you've given to us. And we pray as the teachers teach our kids today that you would give them the lesson and the word that will make a difference in their lives. Father, forgive us of our sins and bless us today. Uh, protect every one of these young men and young ladies from the, the tricks of the evil one, the devil. And Lord, protect them in a society that seems to be going crazy. God, may you help us as lights to shine in a dark world. We ask in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen. All right, primary and juniors off this way. If you're not sure which class to be in, the older kids are right over here. Younger kids are right back here. And uh, come on in. Now, moms and dads, uh, I can't wait till next week. How many here are not married right now? You're not married. Let me see your hands. Put, put them up high. And have you been feeling like, what in the world? He's talking about how to treat your wife, how to treat your husband. I'm not married. Doggone it. What's going on? Well, next week, I'm going to be preaching a message I've never, ever preached before. I went to my files, and I tried to find, you know, it's called the dating game. That's what I call it, the dating game. So this is, there'll be application for all of you who are married, but uh, it's going to be primarily aimed at making life's choices. You know, when you're the most, I don't know, as a young adult, you're making some of the most important decisions that will go with you the entire rest of your life. What kind of profession you're going to go into, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live. Holy cow, those are questions that we need a lot of wisdom in. And yet today, uh, well, always, young people have had to make those decisions. And so uh, we're going to talk to you about that and specifically uh, in regard to dating, what kind of a person to date, where to date, where to find people, and probably not at the local bar. That's probably not the best place. Not in jail. You know, you're <laughs> not in the psychiatric ward. I mean, you know, there's several places not to find. But I, I'm going to preach on that uh, next week. But for this week, uh, to recap what we talked about the last two, the myths of marriage, there are all kinds of myths. The, the it's for me type, self-centered type of thing. Marriage is going to be easier. We'll have two of us to work out all the problems instead of one. No, you bring in four times as many problems when you have two people together. So it's not necessarily always easier. The no effort myth, if it's right, then it'll all work out. There won't be any problems. You, it takes a lot of hard work. The happiness myth, they lived happily ever after. That depends on a lot of things, whether you live happily ever after. And the lost love myth, you can fall into love, you can fall out of love, you, you can't help it if you can't love the person anymore. It's not true. Love is a choice. It's absolutely a decision that we make. God intended for marriage to be for companionship and to, com to complete each other. We're, we're compliments, and that's why, again, had this week someone told me again, I can't believe how different we are. I can't believe how different we are, they said to me, this guy did. And, and, and to, in my mind, immediately it registered, that's, that's a good indication you're with the right person. 
Because if you were just alike, you wouldn't be able to get along with each other. You wouldn't like each other at all, probably. And, and you'd be unnecessary. But, you know, her weaknesses are my strengths. In some cases, my, my weaknesses are her strengths. And we complement, complete each other. So it's, it's really cool to work like that. The effects of the fall. Because of the fall, marriage has changed dramatically. And there's shame, there's fear, there's hiding. And then there are gender-specific consequences. And we talked about women have trouble with relationships with children and a husband. And there's a tendency to either uh, control or to make concession to the point of being abused. Uh, and so th that's specific to her. Oh, plus the uh, pains in childbirth and the uh, increase in, uh, in having children and so on. And then for the men, there's struggle, struggle with work, struggle with inadequacies, uh, struggle with um, the way he deals with it a lot of times, the way guys deal with it is avoidance or um, abuse, and, and neither one of those things are right. So today, uh, we're going to try to share with you from the Word of God how God intended for a marriage to be this restoration of oneness. You remember I talked a couple of weeks ago about my uh, Pat's grandfather's amois that they bought and traveled all over the uh, the. Uh, Te Texarkana is where they finally wound up, but uh, traveled around, and it got all scarred up and dinged up and pieces hanging off, and they nailed them back and all, and how we refinished it and made it look good again. A lot of marriages need that same process to be stripped away of the things that are not attractive and not good and sanded and repaired and refinished and made beautiful again. And so in a marriage, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, is room, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. And if God is in a home, if God is in a marriage, if God is in your lives collectively, then he's going to fill your house and your home with beautiful uh, and rare treasures. But it's got to be built correctly for that to happen. There has to be a devotion to wisdom, to understanding, to knowledge uh, about how we relate with each other and how we actually do relate with each other. Husbands, you've got to learn how to sacrificially love your wife. Absolutely, unconditionally, doesn't, not predicated on anything other than you just determine you're going to love her no matter what as Christ loved the church. And ladies, uh, the, the scriptures that Pat handed out last week, the card, hold the cards up there. there there's some more. She has some more of them because we went through them completely, uh, but it talks about how that your responsibility is to deeply respect and love your husbands, and if there's that kind of a formula together, that kind of an equation, then it's going to be a, a, a little bit of heaven on earth, and she has more of those if you would like to, to get those. By the way, did anybody take them home and put them on a mirror or on the refrigerator or in the car? Yeah, somewhere. All right, several people did. Okay. And uh, ladies, you didn't put it where your husband's going to see it all the time, right? And guys, you didn't put it where your wife's going to see it all the time. You're going to put it where you see it so that you can work on you and let God work on the other person. So here's the first point today. The goal of restoration is restored oneness. The goal of restoration is restored oneness. The purpose of marriage is not, believe it or not, our own personal fulfillment and joy but to reflect God's wisdom and love and to show his relationship with his church. Our marriages are to be braided. And somewhere I've got a poem uh, that says it still takes three. And I didn't 
look it up, didn't find it, but, uh, but it's, it's like you've got a husband and wife, and you're going to braid, but there are three, there's a third strand that holds it all together, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So mature marriages allow God to build their, uh, their love stories together with his redemption. Uh, real love will make allowances for shortcomings in their husband or their wife, in their spouse, because we're all damaged goods, aren't we? And in here, you know, if you're, if you're going to be at the new member uh, luncheon and, and class and you're thinking, you know what, I, I'd like to join, but I want to make sure everybody's perfect here, I can tell you right now, there ain't nobody perfect here, starting right up here. There's nobody perfect here. And uh, in fact, if, if you're looking for the perfect church, I don't even know one to recommend to you because there are no perfect people. There are no perfect churches. One day, we'll be like Christ. But right now, we're just doing the best we can, living according to his word. So churches are not museums of showpieces. They're hospitals for hurting people. And we try to apply the medicine and the bandages from the word of God. The focus shifts in a, in a godly marriage from me to we. Strength and beauty mesh together. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You've all seen the commercial, Help, I've Fallen and Can't Get Up, huh? The little alert button thing. Help, i fall. You know what? And that happens. I came home one time, uh, and my mom, who lived next door, and I'd come home every afternoon and check on her, and she had fallen on the kitchen floor, and she could not get up. And she'd been there for about an hour and a half, she said, in the floor. And I felt so bad we got one of those, uh, one of those things uh, after that. But, uh, but if you fall alone, you're in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Israel won one of their great battles that way with, uh, with their armies and gen two generals back to back fighting. Uh, the enemy. Three are even better than one, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And you might be able to break a strand of string. You might be able to break two strands, but three, generally, you're not going to be able to snap as easily. So, uh, so it still takes, marriage still takes three. It takes the, the, the man, the woman, and it takes also the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the idea of mutual submission in this goal that we have. And, and you may not hear that in some places, as I mentioned before, because a lot of guys like to emphasize verse 22 of Ephesians 5, where it says the wife is to submit to the husband, and completely ignore verse 21 that says you will submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. There's a mutual submission Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, verse 3, don't be selfish, don't live to make a good impression to others, but be humble, think of others as better than yourself, don't think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. And if that applies to others in general, shouldn't it apply even more so to your husband, to your wife, to think of them in front of yourself, to not only be concerned about what you want to do, but to be concerned about what they want to do when Christ-like love permeates a marriage. Husbands and wives honor and care for each other, and sacrifices are made freely. What about the calling of a wife? A calling of the wife. Uh, and I think back to the 60s song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, huh? uh, respect. Uh, in Ephesians 5.33, so again, 
I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect. And that's where uh, Pat's card comes in, that verse, the translation from the amplified version of this uh, honor. The, the idea for respect there, interestingly enough, means reverence and honoring. It's the same Greek word that is translated fear of God. And she's supposed to respect her husband in that way. And fear of God is not being afraid of God. It's having a respect and an admiration for God. And so you to have, ladies, a respect and an admiration for your husband. You, you can respect him when you realize that God has given him a role. And it's not an easy role. It's not. It's just not. It's, it's a tough thing. And God holds us responsible, guys. God holds us accountable for how we discharge the responsibility of being a husband and a father, of how we take care of the family that God entrusts to us. She respects him as, a, as an expression of her desire to honor the Lord. Uh, to, she recognizes that he is to love and protect and provide for her as Christ does the church. But unfortunately, we don't always do that very well, guys. But if a, a, if a wife will revere her husband, respect her husband unconditionally, and a husband will love his wife unconditionally, again, that is a recipe for success. Ephesians 5.29 says, No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. The, the, the desire to survive, the desire to, uh, to live is strong and, and moves people to great lengths normally. Now, that can be affected adversely by circumstances and people and satanic things. Uh, I mean, we can come to a point where we don't want to live any longer for a variety of reasons, but normally we, we will do whatever we can to stay alive. It's so important. We love our, our bodies. We love our lives, and we feed it, and we care for it. And, and the Bible says that's the way Christ is for the church. He loves us, and he feeds us, and he cares for us. In 1 Peter 3, it says, to the wives, you must accept the authority of your husbands. You say, I don't like that. I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to submit to some of these guys either. And they wouldn't want to submit to me. But the, the fact is, we, we, the Bible says to accept the authority of your husband, even those who refuse to accept the good news. You hear that? Even if your husband's not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're to respect him. You're to accept his authority. And the Bible says your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. Your testimony will shine in that kind of a situation. And they will be won over. You say, oh, preacher, you don't know my husband. No, but God knows your husband. And I didn't write this. God wrote this. And so he, uh, he will be won over. You claim that promise. You live for God. You live a godly way. You love your husband. You respect him. You accept his authority. And, and, and they will be won over by watching your pure godly behavior, 1 Peter chapter 3 says. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty that depends on fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. That is the way holy men of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, and it gives an illustration, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham when she called him her master, and you are her daughters when you do what is right without the fear of what your husbands might do. Now, here, okay, that's vulnerable, right? That puts you in a really vulnerable position. 
especially if you have an unsaved husband uh, and you say, and I've had this happen. I've had people, ladies say, uh, Pastor, what do I do when my husband demands me to do something that I know is wrong and immoral and unjust? What should I do? Do I still go ahead and submit to his authority? You know what? The, the key to, to authority over us, whether it's at work, whether it's in the home, whether it's in government, uh, whatever it is, the, the key is this. When the authority is asking us to do something that is not unscriptural, we should do it. We should be compliant and obedient. But if they ask us to do something that is wrong, then we shouldn't do it. I had a guy who worked in uh, over here on North Island years ago, uh, worked on helicopters. And, uh, and some of you guys in the military might identify with this. I don't know. Uh, but he... He would, one of his jobs was go around, check the helicopters, make sure they're ready to go, and report on how many uh, helicopters were ready to fly at any given time. And his officer over him uh, told him to fix the ones that need fixing, so they would go get parts. They didn't have parts. They'd go get them from other helicopters there in their squadron. They'd put them in that, certify that helicopter is ready to go. Then they'd move on to the next one, certify that helicopter is ready to go. Then they'd move on to the next one. And then they'd come to the point where they didn't have any more parts, and so they would tell them, go get some parts out of the ones you just certified and move it over into these and certify this one. And he refused to do it. And the long story made short is he was not in the Navy anymore because he didn't comply with that uh, request. When you're asked to do something dishonest, when you're asked to do something wrong, when you're asked to do something immoral, uh, if your husband is... uh, lost and, and he wants to go to this club where there's swinging couples and all that kind of, and you know no absolutely no you can't do that so when the authority asks you to violate a higher authority who is God then you should not submit to that Daniel's a perfect example Daniel's told uh, we're gonna okay you're you're our, you're our slave you're our captive I'm gonna train you up to be a leader amongst our people so I want you to have this special food this special diet that the king has and he'll supply you with everything he wants you to have his meats his his wines his everything and and you go ahead and, and eat with that and Daniel being a strict Jew Daniel saying you know the certain foods that are unclean I'm not supposed to eat those foods certain things that I, I don't want to do uh, went to the person in charge of him his authority and said, uh, listen, could, can we do something a little different here? These, there's some of these foods we're not supposed to eat. So can we have water and vegetables? That's what his request was. He came up with a, a, an alternative. He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to tell you something, buddy. I'm not eating your stuff. I'm not eating your garbage. We're not having any hot dogs. We're not having any of that stuff. We're, we're going we're gonna to stay with just what we're supposed to. I mean, if he'd have been defiant and haughty and arrogant and demanding, you think it would have worked out as well as it did? I don't think so. He said, let me make a, make a suggestion. Why don't you feed us vegetables and water and then come back and check on us after a little while, see how we're doing. And the guy said, you know, I guess I could do that. I'm responsible for your health, so I want you to be healthy. I guess I could do that. We could try it. And so they did. And when he came back and checked on them, they did better than the, uh, the ones who were on the other diets and eating everything that the king set in front of them. So it worked out. Another example is are the other three Hebrew children who would not bow when the music was played. They were told, when they had this golden image, and, and said, when you hear the sound of the music, you've got to bow down to that idol. And they said, we, we can't do that. We can't, this is not, we're to worship the Lord and him only. We can't bow down to an idol. And so they played the music. They bowed down to the idol. 
they went and got him. They said, if you don't do it, we're going to throw you in the fire of furnace. They said, you know what? Our Lord is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we want you to know something. We can't bow down to the idol. So there may be a price to pay. There may be a price to pay when we don't obey the authority over us, but just make sure it's scriptural reasons why we don't obey them. Make sure we have the right spirit and the right attitude of appealing to the authority over us. And if we can't do what they say to do because of the Word of God and the teachings of the Word of God, then we suffer the consequences. And in this life, we will know persecution as Christians. There will be persecution. So... uh, so what the wives, this means submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Literally, it means to help your husband be the kind of man and husband God intends for him to be. And it doesn't mean let him abuse you. It doesn't mean let him take you as a, make you as a slave. It doesn't mean that a husband has all the, uh, the, the right to make all the choices and you shouldn't have anything to say about it. It doesn't ever mean that the husband should be abusive. It, doesn't, it does mean that her submission and respect will hold him accountable for any abuse of the authority that he has in his God-given role. The the term for submission in the context of marriage means that a wife is to voluntarily align herself under a loving protection and provision God built into the husband's role. And again, that was a safe thing to do in the Garden of Eden. It is the vulnerable thing to do in life today. And it goes against Genesis 3, 16. We talked about that, that desire that you might have to, to rule over your husband or to be calling the shots yourselves. So instead of yielding to fallen natural instincts to control, you're supposed to put your hope for security and protection in God and not just in your husband, but in God using your husband as a conduit. 1 Peter 3.5, again, the way the holy women of old made themselves beautiful, they trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. And you know what the Bible talks about? You've heard, you've heard people say uh, about a, a lady, she is beautiful inside and out. Beautiful inside and out. What in the world? That means her, her character. That means her demeanor. That means the person that she is shines through. And that's what God is saying here in these verses. She's to relate to the husband as the church is to relate to Jesus Christ. And he is the head of the church. Now, what about the calling of a husband? If we honor and love our wives, they will feel safe and valued by us. I let her know. I value her. She is the most important person aside from God. She is the most important important person in this whole world. Uh, If we were stranded on a desert island and she was with me, I'd be good to go. I'm telling you, I, I, I just, I absolutely, um, I would take a bullet for her uh, without having to think about it. Um, I value her. I want her to be safe. Um, I take care of her car so that she's safe. I make sure the tires are right, the brakes are right, the, everything's running right on it. I, 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 want, uh, I want her to be absolutely as safe as she can be in a crazy world because I answer to God for how I take care of her. He takes care of the church. I have to take care of her in that way. And by the way, guys, you, you like the submission part. Have you thought about this? In Ephesians 5, there are three and a half verses directed to the wife and her responsibilities. There are nine verses to you as a husband. Requirements. You're to love Christ, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
How much did he love the church? So much the Bible says he gave himself for it. He died for believers. He died for the church. He went to the cross, but before he died, do I have to remind you that he went through all kinds of agony and suffering and torment and rejection and being nailed and being beaten and being crowned with thorns and being just just forsaken by his own people. Do I have to tell you what Jesus Christ went through? He loved church, the believers, so much that he gave himself for it. And I said this last week, I'll say it again this week. If you love your wife enough to die for her, then what kind of logic is it if you don't love her enough to live for her? To make her life as good as you possibly can. To love her as much as you possibly can. If you love her enough to die for her, then put her on that pedestal and spoil her and make her know she's important to you. Christ-like love, number four. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church, he gave himself for it. So by dying for the church, he gave us husbands a profound pattern for leadership in the home. But by the way, the leadership of God is different than the leadership of man, the, the, the whole philosophy of leadership. In the leadership of man, it's, it's whoever's at the very top, right? It's whoever's up here commanding whoever, whoever has the most people under him, you know, then that's, that is the premier uh, leader. Jesus said, It's exactly opposite. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they exercise authority over them that are called benefactors, but you will not be so. Listen to this. He that is greatest among you, let him be as younger, and he that is the chief as he who does serve. For whether is greater, he that sits at meat or served at the table, or he that serves. Is it not he that sits at meat? But I am among you as one that serves. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so his whole idea is not being up here at the apex, at the very top of the pyramid. He says, flip that upside down, and the more people you serve, the better leader you really are. And Christ says, I'm here. I'm right here. I came to serve. And he put that towel around his waist and took that basin of water and began to wash their feet. That's kind of humiliating, isn't it? Washing people's feet. Jesus was giving us a profound lesson that we need to be willing to humble ourselves and to serve the neediest of the needy. So this is the principle of servant leadership. It's where it came from. Christ is the one who invented the whole idea of servant leadership. And applied to marriage, it's powerful because we're called to lead and to love in that and to serve and to show that love by serving. We're to provide a safe environment, guys, where a wife never fears abuse or abandonment. Instead, she's to know security and love, and then her beauty emanates forth from that. Never, ever raise a hand to her in anger. Never, ever threaten her. Never, ever call her bad names. I, I used to say, don't call her names, and someone said, well, I call her Snooky Poo and Boo Boo, and I'm not talking about, you know, whatever your little pet names are. I'm talking about don't call her bad names, and never, ever Lead her to think that you might lead her, leave her. Don't even, don't even tease about that. 
And let me, last point is this, nourishing and cherishing love. Next to the last point, actually. Nourishing and, changing, and cherishing love. In Ephesians 5:28, men not to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Those two things, nourish and cherish. Uh, so to nourish means to provide her with what she needs to flourish as a wife and a woman. You want her to grow strong as a woman. You want to nourish her hunger for communication. Why is that so hard for us? Why, why do we just sometimes just clam up when she wants to talk about something? Why is it we get aggravated sometimes? Communication is something she hungers for. Attention is something she craves and wants from you. Time is something that's important and special. Touch is a very powerful thing. Give her those things. Nourish her hunger for those things. Husbands, we're to take the initiative to provide a relational and spiritual greenhouse environment that consistently encourages our wife to engage in acts of love and good deeds as she lives out her God-given role of being tender and nurturing in relationships. To cherish then, so nourishing is important. To cherish means a husband treats his wife in ways that make her feel highly valued and deeply loved. And that means actions and words. You can say you love her all day long. If you don't act like it, it nullifies the words. So in actions and words. And, and, and be, be heard, let her be heard and listened to. Not just heard, but listened to. Praise her in public and in private. And then the real last point, finally we get to the last point, a taste of Eden and of heaven. A taste of Eden and of heaven. Nourishing and cherishing her draws out her inner beauty, and then both of us will have a taste, a little taste of what heaven might be like. Oneness is expressed emotionally, can be expressed spiritually, can be expressed sexually. And when the relationship is right, the bills that come in, the problems at job, the problems with the kids, the trouble at work, none of that is as overwhelming and important because there's a fragrance of heaven in the air and the atmosphere of the home. And we become, ideally, illustrations of our Savior and his relationship with the church. But it can never happen unless we have that foundational relationship with Jesus Christ. Not all of you were blessed necessarily to be brought up in a home that taught the importance of only going with people who are saved, only dating people who are saved, and so on, having a common faith. Uh, my wife and I had the great privilege and honor of meeting at Bible College, where at least theoretically, we both had the idea of serving God together, so we didn't have to wrestle through that. When she knew I was going to be in ministry of some kind, and, and I knew she was there because she was interested in serving God, now those things, you'll never have everything that God wants you to have in your home until you both have the foundation of Christ as your personal Savior. There's no better foundation anyone can lay than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. If your foundation in your marriage is he is such a hunk, <laughs> there's going to come a time when that hunk becomes misshapen, okay? <laughs> that massive chest migrate south. <laughs> if, if you 
say your foundation for your relationship with your wife is she's an amazing, beautiful, gorgeous lady. Someday, she's going to be caulking and painting and filling and adding stuff and... Things change, I got to tell you. <laughs> Been there, done that, still doing that. It's like I just walk along, and as I walk, things fall off of me now. I don't know, it's just weird. Do you know what? My eyesight changes. You want to be safe, if you're beyond about the sixth or seventh row, I can't even see you right now. So you could be sticking your tongue out at me, I won't, I won't even know it, you know, but... You can be sleeping, whatever else. I won't even know it. But up here, I can, I'm still good. A little bit. But there's a time I didn't need contacts. I didn't need glasses. You know what I'm talking about? Things change. But you know what never, ever, ever changes? Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Is He your foundation? Finances change. Jobs change. All kinds. Christ never does. Would you bow your heads? Christ never changes. Is he your foundation? The foundation for your life. The foundation for your marriage. The foundation for your eternity. Is he the foundation for it all? For what you believe? For what you practice? For what you try to accomplish? What you try to do in your marriage? Is he the foundation If you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, I am so pleased. I am so glad. If you've prayed and asked him to come into your life to be your Lord and your master, I'm so thankful for that. And that's the most important ingredient to whatever success in whatever endeavor in life you might have. But if you've never done that yet, whether you're a guest or a member, if you've been a member here for a long time, if you have never turned to Christ and said, Lord, be my God, be my Savior, forgive me of my sins, come into my messed up life, clean it up, forgive me of my sins, and be my God. If you've never asked him to do that, you can do that right now. The way you do that is pretty simple, really, because he did the hard part. The way you do that is to pray and ask him something like this. I'll give you a sample, and you can even pray it right now if that's your desire. If you want him to come in and forgive you of your sin, take away the guilt and shame, and be your God, you can pray, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm so needy. I'm not the man, the woman that I need to be and that I ought to be and that you want me to be. Furthermore, I can't be that person without your help. I know that this life's going to be over. One of these days could be sooner than later. But I'll stand before you someday. And I believe that your word teaches that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. And it says if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God has raised him from the dead that we can be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And right now, in the quietness of my own heart, I ask you, Lord, to cleanse me of my sin, to be my Savior. 
to be my God. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart, sincere as you can be, would you just slip your hand up and hold it up for just a moment? Hold it up just a moment and then slip it back down. Preacher, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it with all my heart. One more thing with every head bowed, every eye closed. If something in today's message, some principle, some scripture, some point that was made has given you some new wisdom and new understanding of something you can do in your own marriage that will make it better. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you'll say, preacher, something you shared is going to help me be a better husband or a better wife. Would you slip your hand up? Hold it up for just a moment. Hold it up. God bless you. God bless you. Our Father, we commit now this congregation to you. We ask you, Lord, to show us exactly what you want us to do and help us to have the wisdom to do it and the ability to do it through Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would learn to love and respect each other unconditionally, that we would be people who forgive easily and who ask for forgiveness readily. God, I pray that you would do something great in the homes of every person represented, every person here today. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.